0: David was furious. He was livid. King David was so angry, he didn't trust his own judgment. He didn't understand his own thinking. He was so wary of his own thinking that he was afraid he would do something harmful, something dangerous. He needed guidance. He knew he needed to talk to somebody to talk him down off this rage. But finding a counselor, finding someone to talk to is not an easy task. If we find somebody who's wise enough to help us, but that person doesn't know about our situation, we lose. If we find somebody who's wise enough to help us and understands our situation, but is not available, we lose. If we find somebody who is wise enough to help us, who knows about our situation and is available, but doesn't understand us, our wiring, our moods, we lose. If we find somebody wise enough to help us, who knows our situation, who is available to us, who understands us, but doesn't care about us, we lose. Well, David found that perfect counselor, that perfect person he could go and vent his rage to and trust that this counselor was wise enough to help him and would understand his situation, would know the variables, and was available whenever he needed him, and understood David's own heart, the depths of David's soul, and cared enough to intervene well. David was so excited about his counselor that he wanted to share him with us. So, as we go through David's prayer this morning, it's in Psalm 139. This is a beautiful piece of literature, and I would invite you to, if you don't have your Bible or your device, to use the Pew Bible and follow along with this marvelous, marvelous uh, poem, this prayer that David made in his time of rage, because he's sharing with us, he wants us to know that this counselor is available to us, this beautiful. Uh, incredible, wise, present, sensitive, caring counselor. We begin the that David expressed to God at the end. I want to share with you what David prayed, the, the, the petition, what David asked of God. Because David, before he asked the question. Before he went to God with his petition, he examined God. He examined this counselor. Before he dumped his stuff, he wanted to make sure that he was dumping it in the right place. David asked for God for discernment and discretion in verses 23 and 24 of, of Psalm 139. And here's what he asked. This is where we come up with this sense that David was afraid of his own mind. He said, search me, O God. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. Lord, I don't understand me at this point. I am outraged. I don't understand my own thinking. Search me, O God. You know my heart. Try me and know my troubled, troubled thoughts. Has anybody ever been there? Yeah, it's kind of a way of life at times, isn't it? I'm afraid of my own thinking, but because my thinking is distorted, because I'm concerned about my thinking, David not only asked God for discernment in verse 23, David asked God for direction in verse 24. He said, first search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts, and see if there be any harmful, hurtful way in me. Anything that I'm going to do that's going to hurt somebody, including me. And secondly, then, lead me in the everlasting way, in the solid, right way. The way that lasts, the way that produces good and not evil. So, Lord, help me to understand my thoughts, guide my thinking, and then guide my steps, guide my thing. Don't let me do anything stupid and help me do something that is right, that's good. So you ask yourself, is God in the counseling business? Does God have a shingle out saying, come, I'll I'll listen to you, I'll help you? Well, David said, absolutely, God is in the counseling business. But let's check his credentials. Let's see just how effective he would be as a counselor. So before David asked God for discernment and direction, he analyzed his request for God's guidance with good theology. And the first thing he said is, David, in verses 1 through 6 of Psalm 139, David assures us that God knows our situation. When we come to God in our rage, when we come to God in our fear, when we come to God in our discouragement, when we come to God in our anxiety, David said, be assured of one thing. God knows your situation. Here's what he said, O Lord, you have searched and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar before I even have them. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. And David used two figures of speech called merism, where he talks about the extremes to represent the whole. When I sit down and when I rise up, you know my path and my lying down and everything in between. You know me thoroughly. There are seven no words in those four verses. Listen to them. You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down. You understand my thoughts. You scrutinize my path. You're intimately acquainted with all my ways. Before there's a word on my tongue, you know it all. So are we coming to a counselor who says, I get it. I know the situation. I know why you're frustrated. I know why you're afraid. I know why you're happy. I know why you're mad. I know with an infinite, omniscient mind, I know you better than you know your circumstances. I know you. And then David said, Verses 5 and 6, you have enclosed me, you have laid siege, you have built a moat around me, and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, it is too high, I can't get my head around it. And so David came of this, in his rage, and his fear, and his anxiety that he was going to do something wrong, and he said, Lord, first of all, I confess that you know me. You, I, you, you know the situation. And he said, and you, you enclosed me, and you, you laid your hand on me. There are three different words in this psalm for the word hand. This one is the word palm. The palm. You laid your hand on me. My guardian, Chris, used to lay his hand on my head. When I would get wild, and, and I would. And Chris was a little shorter than me. And Chris would put his hand on my head like this and he would just pull my head down very slowly and he'd pat me on the head. It was comforting, it was reassuring. It was, I'm here for you, Sid. I know you're struggling. I care, I'm here. I used to do that with my boys. Jeanette and I would once in a while do that. I very rarely, with very few people, do that today. Lord, you said, chill, Bubba. calm down, I'm here you laid your palm on my head, what a beautiful beautiful picture, so David made it very clear that God knows our situation with an infinite omniscient mind you can never bring anything to God where he says hmm, I don't understand that I get it, but the question is, is God available to you It's good that he's wise. It's good that he knows our situation, but is he available? And when I say available, I mean geographically available, but also present. Is he there? When you need him and you talk to him, is he there? Is he listening? Is he available to you? Well, David said in verses 7 through 12, I assure you that God is available to you. Listen to what he said. He asked, Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? And we can understand those questions in two ways. One, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Get off my back. You know, hey, I need to think some things I don't want you to know I'm thinking about. I want to do some stuff I don't want you to see me do. I want to say some things that you probably don't want to hear. So where can I go from your spirit? How can I get away? Or it can be understood as I am never away from you. You are always there to help. In my wildest moment, in my most depressed moment, I can come to you because you're always there. And you say, which is right? And I say both. Because sometimes, I probably shouldn't confess this from a pulpit, And I say, Lord, you don't want to hear what I'm going to say. Don't look so pious, you're just as rotten as I am. (laughs) But isn't it true much more of the time that we say when I'm in the pits, when I need comfort, when I need the hand on the head, I can't escape. In fact, then he expanded on that. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? He he said, if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed at Sheol, you're there. If I could take the wings of the dawn and go to the east and see the sun coming up, you're there. If I could go to the far side of the sea, which to Israel, the Mediterranean was on the west. If I could go to that dark place, that sea, High, low, east, west, you're there. And the language is beautiful. David said, if I ascend to heaven, you. If I make my bed in Sheol, you. I mean, it's that simple in Hebrew. He's just saying, you're always there. You're there, you're there. And so we see geographically, high, low, east, west. But there's also another way of looking at this. The first first line in both of these uh, verses if I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I go to the sunrise, you're there. The sunrise signal, the coming of day, the warmth, the light, the safety of the day coming. And if I can go up to heaven or if I go to the, where the sun is rising, this happy, beautiful place, you're there. On the other hand, if I go to Sheol, the place of death, a very mysterious, scary place of death, or if I go to the far side of the sea where the sun sets and that the, the Israelis were not ocean-going people and this, the sea was a, a place of mystery and dark and cold. And so if my mood is I'm in heaven and it's wonderful and it's sunrise and I'm upbeat, you're there. But if I'm in Sheol... And I'm at the far side of the dark, scary sea at the edge of the earth. And the sun has gone down and it's dark. You're there. So whether we speak geographically or emotionally, David said, God is always there for you. He's wise enough to help you. He knows your situation. And he's always there. And he says, even in the remotest part of the sea and the wings of the dawn and Sheol in heaven, even there. And here's that word hand again. Your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. And, and this, this hand, the, the first hand is the wrist. It's this de- the dexterity. There your hand will lead me. If I'm in the right place, your hand will lead me. Your right hand will lay hold of me. The right hand is the hand that holds the sword. It's the hand that holds the tool. It's a strong hand. And the picture is, if I'm going in the wrong direction, your right hand will lay hold of me. (laughs) It's like a kid running into the traffic, and you grab the kid and pull him out of danger. He says, so in my good times, you're leading me. When I'm heading in the right way, your hand, your dexterous hand, your yad will guide me along. When you see me going in the wrong direction and I'm going to cause trouble and create pain, you're saying, whoa, Bubba, come on back. There's a better way. What a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture. Well, I can't go high enough. I can't go low enough. I can't go far enough east. I can't go far enough west. to high Well, he says, verse 11, maybe the darkness will overwhelm me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night, Even the darkness is not dark to you, and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. High, low, east, west, dark, you cannot escape God's guiding hand. God's rescuing hand. God's comforting hand. God is wise enough to help you. He knows your situation. And He's always available to you in every place and in every mood. But does He understand you? We're not all alike. Some of us are stranger than others, we're wired differently. Some of you are introverted, some of you are extroverted. Some of you are goal-oriented. Some of you are process-oriented. <laughs> when Jeanette and I would travel in the car. She'd say, oh, look, a historic thing out there. <laughs> I so wish I could go back and stop at some of those places. She wanted to enjoy the trip, but I wanted to get there. I was driving. What a patient woman. We're different. We're different. We're different. Does God understand you? Does he understand what makes you afraid? What pleases you? What disgusts you? Yes, he does. Verses 13 through 18, David thanked God for understanding us so intimately. He says, for you, and that word for, he's following off after the the night is as bright as the day, darkness and light are alike to you. For you formed my inward parts, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Is there a darker place? I was there a long time ago, but I don't remember. I suspect it was dark. So in the womb, David said, you knit my parts together. And what he's talking about, when he talks about the inward parts, the word is kidney. And, and the word kidney is used that is 31 times in the Old Testament. 18 of those times, it's in the book of Leviticus teaching the Levites when they sacrifice the animal what to do with the kidneys. That's kind of an interesting stuff, but if you can't go to sleep some night, read that. It'll help you <laughs> go to sleep. But the other times, it refers to our heart. It refers to our mind. It refers to our emotions. The kidneys, as you know when you're upset, where it hits you, and so the, 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 to the Old Testament, Hebrew, the Hebrew, the seat of emotion, the seat of feeling and fear and joy with the kidneys. And he said, You wove, you knit all that together in my mother's womb. We think of intellect, emotion, and will as three different things, but you've heard me expound on this before. The heart, the lathe, that whole thing, it's all interwoven. And he said to you, how your emotions affect your reasoning, how what you believe affects your emotions, how your emotions and your beliefs affect your decision-making, all of that, very complex. It's all knit together. And he did that in total darkness. Does God understand you? Yeah. He understands You, better than you know. You understand you. So, he said, and then he says, I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. So, this complex, interactive thing of emotion, intellect, and will, all, you put all that together. Very complex. And in addition, he says, verse 15, my frame was not hidden from you. My bones, my structure, my physical stuff. So, the The non-physical, all the emotional, intellectual stuff, you knit that together. But he says, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully embroidered. Again, uses that thing of embroidering, all the knitting and putting things together in the depths of the earth. What a fabulous idea. I mentioned another time, this is my son's uh, beat up old... It Used to be Gray's Anatomy. It's, a, it's what Gray's Anatomy used to be. This book. Have you ever looked at one of these things? It's at the physical body. It's incredible how how complicated it is. All the nerves and the blood vessels, the all that, and the tendons, all that. He says you you embroidered all that in total darkness. So not only did you 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 knit my emotional stuff together and embroider my physical stuff together, then you combined them together. You put all that together in total darkness. Now, I want to show you something. You may never see this again. So, a camera, you may want to get a close up of this. Don't miss it, okay? This is Hubble Webb Telescope splitting the atom, Bush League. Watch this. You ready? Want to see it again? Yeah, I bet you could do it. Yeah, yeah. You say, that's goofy. No, it isn't. Have you ever thought of the incredible, complex process of my brain generating a thought and transmitting it without me almost unconscious? How many times a day do we do all this? I can even do it. Look at that. I am really clever. And that all happens. It's all knit together. A fabulous thing. And God put it together in total darkness. So David is saying, yes, God is wise enough to help you. And he knows your situation. And he's available to you. And he understands you better than you could ever understand yourself. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. Even before I was fully formed in the womb, this tiny little embryo, you were involved with me. And before any day happened in my life, in your sovereign will, you have laid out a plan for me. That's how well you understand me and know me. So God knows your situation. He's available to you in every place and at all times. He understands you, but does he care about you? I mean, God's a busy guy. He's running a whole universe. And he's got to take care of some of you people. And you're a lot tougher to take care of than some of the others. Does he have time for us strange ones? Yeah. Yeah. God knows you, knows your situation. He's available to you. He understands you, and he does care about you. Verses 17 and 18, David praised God for caring about him so passionately. How precious also are your thoughts of me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. Lord, you're always thinking about me. The number of thoughts you have about me are more than the grains of sand by the seashore. Of course you care about me. Of course you care about me. And then this thing, it says it, the last part of verse 18, when I, am a, when I wake up, I'm still with you. When I wake up, I'm still with you. So I've been scraping the Milky Way with this theology of God's omniscience and God's power and omnipotence and the care and all that beautiful stuff, kind of in a dreamland. But you know what, when I come back to reality and I stop being the poet and I start being the angry old king again, It's all real. You're still with me. This isn't dream theology, folks. David said, I have found someone who's wise enough to help me. He knows my situation. Regardless of my mood, he's always there. And I find out if God isn't there, it's not God who has to move. It's me. He's always there. He's always there geographically. And even when I'm mad at Him, or so furious I can hardly think straight, when my anger is so overpowering that I'm afraid I'm going to do something Disastrous. And I have to come to God and say, Lord, know my thoughts. Examine my anxious heart. Keep me from doing something harmful and lead me in the way everlasting. He's there. He's there. And he cares passionately about me. How precious are your thoughts of me, O God how vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. And you know what? That's real. When I come back to my senses, when I come back to my thinking, you're still there. But then when David woke up and came back to his senses, his thoughts were not very pleasant. Verses 19 through 22, he answers the question, so what? What? So what? Did it make any difference to David that God knew his situation was available to him in every place and at all times and that God understood him and that God cared about him? So what? Well, David said, I can trust this counselor. So the next strophe in this, in this stanza of the poem is one of the most complicated, one of the most difficult passages in all of the Psalms to understand because David asked God for two things. First, he asked God to hear me as I vent my rage. He said, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you men of bloodshed. They speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? Do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. You say, Whoa. Why is that in there? I think what David is communicating to us is that God can take it. When you're feeling these things, when you're doubting God, when you're furious at someone, when you're wrestling with that deepest temptation of your life, you're scared to death, and you know you're supposed to have faith, but you don't. Dump it on God. Breathe it out to God. David said, these feelings that I'm not very comfortable with, these feelings that I'm afraid of, that I'm afraid are going to lead me to, I have to tell it to somebody. And who better to tell it to than my Lord, my God. So, he first said, Lord, listen to me as I vent my rage. Let me Lance this boil and dump the pus at your feet. Let me puke out my rage, my venom. There's no safer place than with you. That's why Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. And so because of David's deep fear of his feelings, he said, search me, O God, and know my heart. And the first part of the poem says, God does know our heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And David said, when I prayed that, God laid his palm. He says, okay, David. I get it. Calm down. I'm here. And see if there's any hurtful way in me. Anything I'm going to do that's dangerous. And I pray that, I ask you to see if there's any hurtful way in me, because your right hand will lay hold of me. and say, don't go there. Don't go there. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to hurt someone else. That is not a good way. That is a hurtful way. And with your hand, this dexterity, your wrist and your nimble hand, lead me in the everlasting way. That I love the Hebrew. Derech golam. This rock, solid, long-lasting, right, good way lead me in that way and keep me from the other so David is telling us I found this counselor and you can be in constant communication with the God of Psalm 139 we can confidently pray for his guidance because your God knows your situation with omniscient thought Your God is constantly available available to no matter where you are or what mood you're in. Your God understands how you're wired, how you function, because he knit and embroidered you together. He knows you more intimately than you could ever know yourself. Your God deeply cares about every aspect of your life because he wrote the script for you before you were even born. Your God knows your worst thoughts before you think them. You think God doesn't know what we're thinking? David said he does. It's not like it's secret. So dump it there. And your God is committed to helping you sort through your thoughts and guide you in his everlasting way. This is not a plea to not use other counselors. There are a lot of wise people in the world that we can go to for help, but we must be careful. And unfortunately for many of us, even men and women of faith, we're so quick to run to someone else and so slow to come to God. I read something that sort of startled me a number of years ago. The Edgewater Hotel in Chicago, in nineteen twenty three nine of the world's most successful financiers were gathered to address a youth conference. They were the leading experts on how to be financially successful. the best sources available. It was a president of the largest steel company in the United States, president of the largest utility company in the United States, president of the largest gas company in the United States, the world's greatest wheat speculator. President of the U.S. Stock Exchange, member of the U.S. President's Cabinet, world's most successful stockbroker, president of the world's largest monopoly, and president of the Bank of International Trade. Now, that's quite a youth Congress. I'm telling you about how you could be financially successful. Well, 25 years later, in 1948, the president of the largest steel company in the United States, Charles Schwab, died bankrupt after living the last five years on borrowed money. The president of the largest utility company in the United States, Samuel Insel, died a penniless fugitive in a foreign country. The president of the largest gas company in the United States, Howard Hobson, was insane. The world's greatest wheat speculator was abroad and insolvent. President of the U.S. Stock Exchange, Richard Whitney, was just being released from Sing Sing. Member of the U.S. President's Cabinet, Albert Fall, had been pardoned from prison to die at home. The world's most successful stockbroker, Jesse Livermore, had committed suicide. President of the world's largest monopoly, Ivan Kruger, had committed suicide. President of the Bank of International Trade, Leon Fraser, had committed suicide. Be careful who you take advice from. But no matter who else we consult, David said, I know the perfect counselor. So what? So what? He who leads a prayerless life leads a fool's life.